So we go from that amazing, powerful, awesome episode to this. And next week is uh, Honor Amongst Thieves. This one doesn't really feel like it fits, which is funny because it doesn't feel like it fits in like three separate ways. Uh, don't mistake me. There's always room for a good comedy episode, but well, that's not this, is it? I suppose I should clarify that. I don't mean that it's a bad comedy episode. I mean that's not really a comedy episode, even though it probably should be. See, Rene Echeverria pitched this episode way back in Season 3 of TNG. Uh, he was turned down. Uh, later, when he was working on late TNG, which is about Season 6, he pitched it, and Jerry Taylor turned him down. Then when he shifted over to be a writer on DS9, he pitched it to the then showrunner, which was Michael Peller, who turned it down. Then when Ira Stephen Bear took over, he pitched it to Ira Stephen Bear, who turned it down. I'm not making this up, I swear. Now what I find funniest about this is several people have since said that it's a good episode and they did a good job with it. And I do agree that it's a better than bad episode, it's just... <laughs> Poor Echeveria, right? Having to go through all that crap just to get this episode out there. Anyways, anyways. That being said, I do want to say I feel there's two major missteps. Number one, the Jem'Hadar. Now, that's funny because I actually find the most engaging part of the episode to be the Jem'Hadar. But my point is, this shouldn't have been the Jem'Hadar. See, the problem is... The series has been spending every single episode since the Jem'Hadar to emphasize how dangerous, how deadly, and how different the Jem'Hadar are from everything else we've encountered. They are, in addition to being the enemy, kind of alien. And we have difficulty even approximating something like mutual respect, although that does happen occasionally. But that's about as far as it goes. So... Jem'Hadar plus comedy equals no, is what I'm trying to say. Funnily enough, uh, as I was doing my behind-the-scenes look, apparently there were some people amongst the staff who said the same thing, and they wanted to do something else, like, say, the Pakleds, which, I mean, the less we see the Pakleds, the better. Or, Harry Mudd. Wouldn't that have been interesting? He would obviously be a lot older at this point, but I have to admit that would kind of fit the tone a little bit better. God, I've just been yawning so much. I apologize. The Alphas and the Gammas. That's the part about the Jem'Hadar that I feel is unfortunate. Because it's an awesome and engaging idea. They even show multiple times how the Alphas physically act different than the other ones. Uh, when, they, when they're distributing the white is a great example of this. They say, hey, here... And he's just so casual. There's no ceremony about it. He just opens it up, and he casually hands three vials to somebody, and then hands them another three vials. And the guy's like, uh, uh, we do take this. And it's, no, 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 no. We don't need any ceremony. We're alphas. We prove through our actions that we are loyal to the Dominion. Remember, they have a different patterning, different programming to their brains, in addition to being differently made uh, biologically, which is just fascinating and a very engaging concept. It basically introduces the concept of politics to the Jem'Hadar. Oh, sure, the Jem'Hadar have always had a form of a hierarchy, but not really political internecine interactions. But here we see the Gammas and the Alphas butthead basically constantly in not just because they think differently, but because now we have a division. 
we have crafted an artificial division within the Jem'Hadar, between the Alphas and the Gammas. This is something that will, if I'm not mistaken, never be mentioned ever again. This is a plot thread that is completely abandoned, which is a bit of a pity, which is the problem. So if you're going to take the one and only interesting part about the episode from a you know, long-term construction perspective and not do anything with it, you might as well eject the Jem'Hadar entirely and just go with something else. You get the Romulans. No, that probably doesn't work. Make it just a random crew of people. You know, like in Live Fast and Prosper, whatever the name of that episode is over in Voyager. Just make it a random group of cons, and they're like, Hey, yeah, so we took your ship when you were super weak, and now you're totally going to make it work for us, right? Now I know what you're thinking. Lore, that doesn't work. There's no way I would believe them as a credible threat. Exactly! This is a comedy episode. We neither need nor want, if I could be so bold, a credible threat in a comedy episode. You know what we need? Comedy. So, as much as I dislike Rascals over on TNG, in fact, I despise the episode. I gave it a lamentation, which I suppose I shouldn't say out loud, because I'm not sure when that goes live or live to this. I've already done the video on it, so I know it's lamentation. Um, as much as I despise that episode, though, there is one tidbit of it that's actually really good. It's Riker teaching the Ferengi how to use, how to run the ship. Now he's babbling nonsense, but if you think about it for a second, something like a starship is actually very, very complex. Those of you who have ever worked um, high-tech jobs or high-tier jobs, try to picture the most complicated piece of equipment you had to work with. Now try to explain the usage and in-depth mechanics of, of fixing that machine to someone who's never interacted with it before in their life, and you kind of get the comedy potential there, especially since this is being slanted in that direction because of the tone of the episode and because you're playing for time. So Kira has this bit where she's teaching a Hadar how to fix the warp engines. The way, now, you can't tell me, not a visitor is already basically playing it that way. You can't tell me that wouldn't work if it was just random Joe Bo number 37, or a Packlet, or a Mud, or whoever. It's like, well, yes, of course, you don't have to tell me that. I'm not stupid after all. I've got this. You know, the, the episode almost writes itself in that case. There's several other bits, too, that I think work better. Like, imagine for a moment the bridge scene where Cisco's brought up. Rather than having a tense confrontation between... Well, okay, actually, let me rewind this for a second. Because the problem is it's not tense, but it is. It's so inconsistent, it bothers me. There's this bit where the Gamma says, you should just kill him. He's planning something. And the Alpha says, no. And then Cisco starts talking circles around the Alpha. As if the Alpha was, well, an idiot, to put it bluntly kind of like in a comedic way. He's like, oh, yes, you know, they do this, and then we'll start this, and then we'll do this. And it's treated as if it's a funny scene while two Jem'Hadar holding guns are on the bridge. You see why that doesn't work? So again, just remove the Jem'Hadar, replace them with the guys who are like, ah, yeah, yeah. fine, go, go repair the ship. You can have three of your bridge crew. No one else. No one else. I don't know why I'm talking like a Ferengi all of a sudden. I guess I was just thinking of Rascals. But, you know, do something with that instead of this. Anyway, sorry, moving on, moving on. I do want to give praise to the special effects crew. There's only a, a small handful of shots with the miniature runabout, and most of them are in the money shot, the big confrontation in the engineering room. 
But basically, all of them are good stuff. With only one exception, I actually bought the existence of the mini runabout, which is saying something, because it's a silly premise. Uh, although, that does bring me to my one big problem with the episode, other than the Jem'Hadar. How do they get on the ship? Do think about this for a moment. You are outside a space ship. You need to get inside a space ship. So you fly in. Now, I want to stress this point, because as they're flying in, they only encounter one barrier in their path, physical or energy. And it's the little hatch that just kind of loosely opens. Are you, are you trying to tell me that that little hatch in engineering just leads out into space? Now, there are, don't mistake me, there are ways to explain around this, but that has always bothered me. Like, what I was actually expecting to happen the first time I watched this was, they're going to come out and say, ah, this is, all right, we've, we've encountered the, you know, the structural integrity barrier. We're only going to be able to turn it off for a few seconds as we get in, because they're going to detect it. Okay, and then they go in or something. But no, they just fly in as if nothing's happening. Although they do have a moment of nearly dying to the plasma, which brings me to the one other thing the episode does pretty well. One of the writing potentials is to drastically... This, is, this sounds like a weird sentence. One of the more interesting potentials in writing, I find, is to drastically change the perspective such that the mundane stops being mundane. In other words, and I'll use a direct example, in this episode, it takes these guys substantial effort to open a door. Because it doesn't detect them, the ship doesn't detect them as worthy of opening the door, which makes a degree of sense. I mean, otherwise, imagine how many cats are running around the Enterprise-D. Just think about it for a second. So, the door doesn't automatically open for them, so they have to follow someone, or barely tap that thing as lightly as they can. You know, just little stuff like that. They do this several times, and they do it to good effect. Although, I do have to once again complain, because the Jem'Hadar are basically blind in this episode. There's a bit where... A Jem'Hadar is sitting here working, and the ship comes up like this. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I can see my hand very clearly right there. And I'm not a super soldier with super sight and super hearing, so... <sighs> Again, it, if you just mentally remove them from being Jem'Hadar and replace them from, with something else, it suddenly works a lot better. So, uh... Sorry, looking at my notes, trying not to yawn audibly. I don't know what's with my yawning today. Oh, we there's an there's this there's this great bit. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. There's this great bit where a Chimpanzee is walking along. There's this the ship's just going like right behind his head, and he's like, yeah. it's. I do laugh at this episode. Don't mistake me. I just think it's a misstep. Uh, there's this bit where they mention how they're going to put this complicated program in in order to you know, detonate the warp core. I hate to be the person to point this out, but shouldn't their backup backup plan be start a tussle, grab a gun, and shoot the warp core? The manual self-destruct? I hate to point that out, but I'm only pointing it out because I have a really weird feeling a lot of Star Trek writers forget that's even an option. I mean... Think about that for a second. If someone just unloaded with a phaser at the warp core, what do you think is going to happen? <laughs> Anyways. <clears throat> Why is Bashir so stupid in this episode? Multiple times he comes across as, uh, I forget the term, it's the trope of the character who's there to basically make the jokes and make the little, the, the puns, you know. 
sorry, I didn't mean to be so little of this. And he's the one to point out the humor in scenes. There's, there's a term for that concept, character concept. And of all that people for that to be, Bashir would not be my first pick. But he does this constantly. He also almost gets himself killed by deciding to randomly sit down on a chip, which I'm pretty sure a normal person would know not to do. Never mind Bashir. As a further addendum, he mentions this bit where he's like, ah, oh, it's like being in a silicon forest. That's actually a cool idea. In fact, I hate to continue to expound on this idea, but they have holodecks. You ever think, I mean, we right now have the ability to make very, very small cameras and put them on tiny little things like uh, 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 the snakes, right? So you can just kind of feed it into something. And this is something we've used in real life, both for fictional purposes, for making movies and shows and whatnot, but also for medical purposes, for diagnostics, for te technical you know, trying to get into a specific station or a part of an engineering console or whatever. We, we have that now, right? So imagine how cool it would be in Star Trek to be like, all right, give me a display of the circuit. It, it, multiply 2,000 times. Keep me the same size. So you're basically just walking around amongst the circuitry, right? I mean, I don't know. I think that would be a cool idea not just for the, for the heck of it, but for actual practical usages. I mean, that, that could apply medically as well, although I don't want to go there. That's just gross. But... I bet you the doctor would be down with that. Anyways, just, just food for thought. As usual, the holodeck is a fantastic tool that they barely use. <laughs> I do want to give, again, praise to the effects department. The Silicon Forest, which is actually a very small set, but they did a good job with rearranging it and showcasing it to make it look like they're crossing a circuit board. It looked pretty good, in my opinion, given the time, so props in that direction. So, here's another question. How strong do you think the phasers and torpedoes are on the runabout? This is an interesting one for me, because they're shrunk, but they're the same size. Now, that's important, because if they were shrunk and they weren't the same size, then they would be blobs of jelly, because of just how physics work. But they're shrunk, and everything about them is shrunk. The very, they actually make a mention in the episode that even the space between molecules shrinks equally with them. Okay, which means that's still a ship with the ability to go to warp, I feel like pointing out, but also with, you know, fully ship-grade weapons on it. Now, on the one hand, I could see the torpedoes not being super strong because the relative amount of mass is different. But at the same time, even that is something I admittedly question. Would the relative change in mass matter? Because the amount of power that's in a torpedo is the same, even if the physical the appearance of it is smaller. If anything, my, my presumption would be it would be just as powerful as a photon. It would just be much, much more precisely yielded. Which would actually be even more deadly if you think about it. You know, force over area applied, right? I don't know, just food for thought. I, I found myself really fascinated by the idea. Because I was thinking... Like, these guys have the ultimate weapon, right? They could just get in position and in one phaser blast, and that's the end of that Jem'Hadar, because he just got hit by a ship-grade weapon, right? You know. Anyways, I'm sorry. Moving on, moving on. I would love to see someone who actually knows physics to tell me how right or wrong or lateral I am on this point. So that's about it. Towards the end, we have, you know, a bit of a denouement. Worf and his non-poem. I feel you, buddy. I'm terrible at writing poetry. And of course, they Odo decides to poke fun at Bashir and O'Brien. And we see uh, Impala again, 
telling you, recurrent characters. It was a fun romp, don't mistake me. I know it doesn't sound like I enjoyed myself, but I did despite everything, probably because it was just a lighthearted romp. Really, with only one major change, I would have enjoyed this episode a lot better, and I've already talked about that. Regardless, next week it's down to gritty, dark, doom, death. Because we have to have our yearly tradition of punishing O'Brien. I mean, we can't have Deep Space Nine without punishing O'Brien, right? Regardless, I hope you've enjoyed. I'll see you next time, guys.